With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. The 2-2. Swing and a miss. Hey, strikeouts. And goes down. That's eight strikeouts. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him, line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Welcome to Bagels and Baseball, our earliest show of the year as we get set to wrap up the longest homestand of 2023. On this week's program, we will chat with Brandon Lau about taking on a leadership role with the Rays. Denard Spann of Bally Sports Sun will discuss the week on by. I'll be joined by pitching coach Kyle Snyder to discuss Tyler Glasnow's return. Plus, we'll give you a glimpse of a special 25th anniversary podcast as well. Coming up on this week in Rays Baseball, it's Brandon Lau. How has he grown as a leader? And what did he pick up from some former Rays? Find out after this on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball. And our featured guest this week is Rays second baseman Brandon Lau. Brandon, we appreciate a few minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I figured the timing was pretty good, too, with this being almost homecoming week. And you get to see so many guys that you are familiar with. And you're probably one of the few guys in this clubhouse who played with all of them. And Kevin Kiermaier and Willie Adamas and Mike Brasso. Can you touch on each of those guys, what they meant to you, and maybe how each of them has helped you grow as a person and a player? Yeah, it's uh, certainly going to be tough to do that uh, in, in such a short amount of time, honestly. With uh, with everything that they did, you can start with, with Mike. You know, he we we kind of came through the system together. Uh, you know, we get to play in high and double A with with each other, and a little short stint here and there in triple A, and just kind of grew and bounced things off each other. You know, we got to become professional athletes. We got to become one of the best baseball players in the world together. So, you know, the friendship that we developed, every the the bond that we had was was something different. And um, kind of sliding into that, I. Both Willie and KK, I didn't know before I got called up. So me kind of first getting that introduction with them in the big leagues and not really knowing who they are as people or anything like that uh, was difficult for me at the time. But, you know, on both sides of it, you know, KK took, I feel like took everybody under his wing. He was uh, the leader in the clubhouse and he just kind of showed you what it meant to be a big league baseball player. The way that he handled himself, the way they carried it with, you know, dress code or how he treated, you know, personnel that worked here in the media and everything. It just kind of showed you what it meant to be to be professional. And then Willie kind of along the same lines, he he kind of showed you to, to enjoy the game and understand that, you know, things could be worse. We're, we're we're playing a pretty fun game. We have a pretty good job, and you know, show showed you everything on that side of the ball. But then more of the serious side, kind of showed you how to work. You know, as as a middle infielder, I mean, they 
was he is a very good defensive shortstop and is out there every day taking taking reps at full speed kind of really brought that I feel like into my rotation a little bit is you know fungos weren't just fungos to see ground balls you know I wanted to see things hopefully harder than they would in the game you know and I kind of took that off of him is you know Willie would take these missile ground balls from from Cashy and I'd never seen that done before and I was like you know that actually makes a whole lot of sense why don't we implement that and I feel like that has definitely helped me grow defensively as well so I mean it's all three of them have definitely had their their marks and you know little fingerprints and footsteps in, in my career and uh it's great to see them you know shining in other teams and you know keeping up what we knew that they could do you have now become in essence a, a leader on this team we talked about that in spring training what did you pick up maybe from kk and willie that influenced the way you lead obviously you've got to be yourself yeah i mean in in a perfect world you know we'd have a bunch of people that had more time than me and I didn't have to do this um it's not my personality per se but it's something that really I feel like just kind of happens you know when you see yourself you stay in the clubhouse for a long time you start accumulating the years you start looking around and being one of the person one of the people that has you know the service time around other other guys and it didn't really strike me until this year but this was you know the flip side of where I was when I got called up in 18, you know, I had, you know, KK and, you know, some of those other guys that had a bunch of time, but they really didn't have all that much time at that, at that moment. They didn't have uh, as much time as I think I maybe gave them credit for. And, uh, but understanding that certain guys will look up to you, they don't really have an idea of what's going on. So it's, it's your job to kind of guide them in the right direction, not necessarily, mold them to be a certain person but you know just kind of put the boundaries up push them in the right direction and stuff like that and then i say the biggest thing that stuck with us was the celebrations after the game and I'm not the first person that wants to jump up there and hoorah in front of a team but going through it being on the other side of it it was one of those bright spots on the time where I mean if you went 0 for 5 you still sat up there and you congratulated the team and, and the teammates that that really performed out well that day and it was something that as the years kind of progressed it made more and more sense that we did that and we had to make sure that we kind of kept that going in a good way has the fact that you have had to lead because of the circumstances almost taken you out of your comfort zone a little bit and allowed you to continue to grow yeah I mean, absolutely it's it's one of those things it was to try to be comfortable being uncomfortable and uh you never want to just stay in your little circle. You don't want to stay in your shell. So, I mean, at, from an outside perspective, it is a good thing that, you know, this stuff kind of happened, you know, to force me to do stuff that I not didn't necessarily want to do but prob probably needed to do. With all that said, with the way this team has played the first two months, have you enjoyed this more than any other season to this point? Yeah, I mean, this has been fun. The, the history aside... It, it, it has definitely felt like a different team. You know, it's one of the first times that we haven't had this crazy turnover. You know, we don't have, uh, you know, we, we lost a few pretty pretty big pieces. In, but it's not like we added four or five or six guys, you know, what, like it's felt like in the past. And so we've had 
a year, year and a half with these guys in this clubhouse, so you're just a little bit closer and you're a little bit more understanding of, you know, what guys can do and, and what they're going to do. And I think that made it easier on everybody in this clubhouse to just kind of go out there and play. And it's kind of just felt that way. You know, if I don't get the job done, I look up at the lineup and I'm like, man, I got Randy and Harold and J-Lo behind me. If I don't get the job done, one of those three guys will get the job done. And it kind of leads you to relax and take a little bit more comfortable at-bats. And you kind of see that in the results. When you take comfortable at-bats, things kind of turn out to go your way a little bit better. Has being a dad also helped you grow this year too in, in different ways? Yeah, Absolutely. You know, as as much as I have talked about Kali and my love for her, being a father is so much, so much different. The the joy that I get from Emmett and and honestly just seeing Madison become a mom uh, really kind of separates things a little bit better for me now. Uh, bad days would come and go a couple years ago, and I think that I would hold on to them a little bit more. Uh, I'd show up to the house and, and not want to really talk too much or, or do a whole lot. Just kind of sit there, get ready for bed and go to sleep kind of thing. And now I could go back to the dad. I mean, I struck out five times. I'm pissed. I don't want to talk to anybody. I walk outside and Madison's holding Emmett like up at her face and he's just staring at me and all of a sudden just cracks this huge grin and I'm like, just completely melts everything away. It's like, how do I, how do I stay upset now? This kid doesn't care if I hit five home runs or if I've struck out five times. And um, you know, at the end of the day, you realize that it's not all about me at this point. You know, I'm out there trying to help this kid grow and teach this kid, and you know, turn him into the man that you know I've always wanted to be. And it's honestly some of the most fun that I've had in a long time. Because of all that big picture long term does it make you a better baseball player in some ways because you can turn it off yeah absolutely I think it, it definitely does you know it's one of those things that you can get in a serious gray area and seriously dark in the tunnel of, of a when things are going bad and I think this it definitely kind of helps you kind of take a step back clear things up a little bit you know let some light through and you know, kind of change things a little bit so you're not quite as down as much and for as long as, you know, you might have previously been. I spoke, obviously, with Madison for Mother's Day, and we talked a lot about the great work that you as a family have done in the area of infertility. How much has it meant to you to help another family? Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's honestly kind of crazy when you, when you really look at it. We had to go through two IVF uh, procedures so I mean it's never a guarantee that one's gonna work and you know we were very hopeful that one was gonna work you know everybody if you were in that process of the IVF and you were that committed to have want and try for a family you know we, I hope it works for every single person every single every, every single time you know it's it's that much of a struggle and to see them see, see that family go through the process you know contact with us and and just see the joy on their faces when they got to to hear that they were going to get the grant really just made us so much happier you know we got to see it from the other side of things you know thankfully we are in a spot you know god willing that we never had to worry about the financials of it you know we were 
dedicated. We were going to have it. We were going to do what we could to have a child, and it's not the case for a lot of people. You know, that's it's a very expensive um, program to go through, and you know, to see the joy on their face when they actually when they brought the I think they had twins uh, into the world. It's it was it was incredible. And then beyond that, you're doing work in two areas, really, that mental health, and this is the end of Mental Health Awareness Month. What does it mean to you and your family to be able to provide support in that area? Yeah, it's it's something that means a lot. It, it hits home pretty hard. I've told the story multiple times, and at the time, it was something that I didn't want to talk about. And, you know, if it was something that I didn't want to talk about, and it was something that you know, affected me directly, but I wasn't struggling with things. I couldn't, could only imagine what it actually felt like to actually be struggling. And I wanted to make sure that that was something that didn't hold anybody back. Like I wanted to try to erase as much stigma on it as I possibly could. And, you know, each time that we get to see the Home Runs for Hope campaign getting put up there, I hope that it reaches somebody that, you know, is, on the fence about you know reaching out and i hope it does help somebody whether or not it's i go out there and hit 50 homers and i can donate or you know i hit five homers and i can donate you know the the biggest thing is just to you know get that word out there and try to erase that stigma and we've talked this month to manny navarro and ray allen and the ramirez family i'm sure that somewhere gene would be loving every moment of this what you guys are doing right now too yeah i mean i sure hope so I mean, Gene had such a, a lasting impact on everybody in this locker room, and to see what his family has been able to do, it's it's incredible. Well, you're doing a lot of incredible things, too. We hope you keep it up on and off the field, and we appreciate a few minutes on this week in race baseball. Absolutely. Thank you. That's Brandon Lau. We'll continue in just a moment. You are listening to the Race Baseball Network. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Well, we continue on this week in Rays Baseball, and we appreciate the time on the show of one Brandon Lau and uh, joining us right now to talk about the week on by. And and so far, what's been a terrific season is Denard Span of Valley Sports Sun and the Rays front office. Denard, we appreciate a few minutes. No problem, Neil. Always happy to be here. Well, it's been an incredible run. Is there anything, is, is this has continued kind of week by week, now month after month for two months, uh, that has surprised you in any way? And if so, what? I mean, I think the, the easy answer is the offense. I mean, the offense has, I think, blown everybody's expectations, you know, coming into the season, um, just with the power more so than, than anything. The home runs, you know, the home run differential has uh, been unbelievable. Um, and then also, too, I think uh, just the way the team has responded um, with just some of the early season injuries, you know, the, the, the group has been able to rally. Guys have come from Durham. Um, and we've seen, you know, a lot of a lot of pitching, a lot of different arms. Um, but, you know, it's just been consistent play up until this point. The race did get Tyler Glass now back on Saturday in the big picture. How much does that change things for the race in a positive way? It changes and changes it in a big way um, just because of what I just said, as far as just all the, the, the injuries to springs and 
and to Rasmussen, adding him to the fold. Now you have uh, now you have uh, Shane McClanahan, Zach Eflin, and then you throw in Tyler Glass now, as well as Taj Bradley, and and now it just allows for the um, you know just allows for the bullpen to settle in and not have to cover so many innings and so many games. Um, so yeah, just just definitely definitely a, a big addition with with Tyler Glass now coming back. As as a player, when you know you have someone who's as good as him on the mound, whether it's him or Shane. How does that change the way you feel coming to the ballpark ever, uh, on those days? Well, you know that there's a good possibility you're going to win today. Um, no matter what's going on uh, to prior days before that, you know, if the team's like in a little bit of a slump, um, you know when, you know, honestly, all three of those guys, uh, you, add, you can add Zach Eflin to that as well. Um, you know that they're going to keep the other team um, usually to, you know, three runs or, or less which is going to give you a really good opportunity. And from an offensive standpoint, it's like, you know, it takes pressure off you. You know what I mean? You know, you just have to manufacture, you know, three runs and, and which this team has been doing a good job at that all season long. And so, yeah, it just gives you just, you, you know, you just take takes pressure off of you as an offense, as a position player. Does it work in reverse, Denard? The fact that this team has been able to score runs so consistently, does that take off a pressure off a pitcher when he comes to the ballpark on a given day? I like to think so. I like to think so. Um, you know, once again, you know, if a pitcher it doesn't have his best stuff, and I, and I think we've heard Shane McClanahan say that uh, on a number of times this year, like he has not had his best stuff. And even though he has pitched unbelievable, except for I think the one start um, that he had a little, a uh, little bit of a hiccup. Um, but just knowing that you know your offense has your back and that they're putting up five, six runs, or averaging that, you know, for uh, throughout the season, that you do, you do not have to be perfect, right? You can give up a two or three three spot and you know your offense is going to have have your back and, and score score some runs so uh, I, I I like to think that it does help out the starting pitching as well let's dive a little further into the 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 offensive performance uh because you got to know some of these guys as as they've come through the system yeah. the job that Luke Raley has done so far this year both offensively and defensively what has stood out to you and has it surprised you in the at all Honestly, I got to, I do have to be honest. I, it did surprise me, you know, coming into the season, you know, that we were as an organization were very high on him. And there was a lot of people that had a lot of confidence in him. Um, but, you know, you just don't know until a person shows up for spring training, what they're going to do. Right. And so I got to be honest, like before spring training started, I, I was kind of, you know, scratching my head a little bit. And then that, that all changed once we showed up to spring training and I saw, the adjustments and the changes that he made to his swing, he eliminated his high leg kick and his pump on his, in his hand, his hand load. And I saw that he had more of a simplified swing. Then I got excited. I, I'm not going to lie. It just allowed for him to be able to catch up to velocity, which was his trouble last year. He, anything above 94 mile an hour and, and kind of upper th third of the zone, he could not get to. But once he made those changes and I saw, you know, the spring training that he had as well, um, I definitely, you know, stopped scratching my head and said, OK, all right, I think I think he's going to be OK. And, and all he's done is, you know, taking that same momentum from spring training into the season. Did you feel that way? Maybe not in terms of what you thought going into the season, but the adjustments that Josh made, was that also something you saw in the spring and said, OK, I can see how this is going to happen now? Yes, but. What what impressed me more or what got me more optimistic than his physical changes was him mentally. You know, I, I uh, 
I got an opportunity to spend time with him last year after he got demoted twice. And when I was, I, I made trips to Durham and, you know, he honestly, he handled it better than most guys would have handled it. I, I was, when I showed up to Durham, I was expected to maybe, you know, try to pump him up or try to, you know, speak positivity into him. Um, I thought he would maybe be moping, but he was not, honestly. And I was kind of like surprised. I was like, is he, you know, playing the reverse Jedi mind trick on everybody here? Because I know he has to be frustrated, but everybody that that was there with him every day said that he had, you know, kept come down after his demotion. He was still, you know, being a good teammate and, and, and showing up on time and doing the things that he needed to do. So I was very impressed by that. Um, but just coming in the spring train, I could just tell that, you know, he was a different man. You know, he had experienced, you know, failure the year before. And, you know, it's tough to come up to the major leagues for the first time. And you look at how he came up last, the year before. You know, he was a starting opening day, you know, uh, right fielder. You know, we, we traded uh, Austin Meadows, what, two days before the season started. And he, he was, you know, gifted or handed the job. And that's a, that's a tough task for, for a young ball player. And I think that, you know, everything that he learned last year, you know, just just helped him as far as uh, maturation and, and just, uh, you know, just him having that experience. And I could tell, you know, after, you know, his offseason coming in the spring training that he was locked in and he had a, you know, just just from a mental standpoint. And, uh, you know, it's just been awesome to, to watch him do what he's been able to do all season long. It's it's very impressive. And he's just doing what everybody in the organization has, has seen over the years. You touched on that trade that uh, the Rays made last spring involving Austin Meadows. I think Isak Paredes has taken a big jump, and maybe it gets yeah. a little bit underrated just yeah. because the attention for Josh Lowe and, and Luke Raley this year. Yeah, that was a sleeper trade. That's another one I was scratching my head. I'm like, what? And, you know, I was looking at Isak's uh, career numbers, and you know, but then you know, I didn't. You know, I'd never really watched him play, so I didn't know, but. You know, this guy, he can pick it over at third base. You can put, uh, you can put him at first base. He does the same thing. And, um, you know, he barrels the ball. And, and he, he's a, a good – he's a good player, you know, uh, that balances our team from a right-handed, you know, standpoint. And, um, yeah, he, he has been a, a really good addition for our ball club. He also stays in the strike zone a whole lot. And that's the thing to me that has stood out to Nardis. I've watched this group day by day is how yep. well they do to grind at bats as a group and get starting pitchers out and get into the kind of the B side of teams' bullpens. Most definitely. And I, I honestly, I think that has been the, the probably the biggest ingredient or recipe to their success this year is their plate discipline, swing decisions. Um, Chad Matola, Dan DeMint, Brady North, the, the whole hitting group have emphasized on those guys, you know, swinging at good pitches. And hunting, you know, fastballs in certain counts, and when to be aggressive in offensive counts, and and uh, things like that. And so, um, you know, and I think also too, like everybody, all the players, you know, they have bought in on that. You know, we've heard Randy Rosarena, Yandy Diaz, Harold Ramirez, some of these guys that you know did not look at scouting reports and did not, you know, look at, you know, take a a, a deeper dive into the analytics. Now this year, they're starting to do that, and you're starting to see why this team is having so, so so much success. And it's one thing to say, hey, we need to be more disciplined of the group. We need to swing at strikes. But to see a whole group do it, I, I think really stands out. I, I totally agree. It's been a, it's been, you know, it's been a collective effort, right? We, we talk about it you know, every time I'm on, on Bally's. It's like, it's not just one or two guys is what you traditionally see um, on most ball clubs carrying a team. 
it's literally everybody that, you know, is contributing in, in a major way. Um, I know as of the, what was that, the, a week ago or so, uh, everybody on the team had at least five home runs except for two guys. 11 out of the 13 position players had at least five home runs. And that's just ridiculous. We're at 45, 50 games into the season. Yeah, and as we hit the one-third mark, the other thing the Rays have done with more close games is also use their athleticism on the bases. They've had two seven stolen base games now uh, with one uh, against Toronto and one against the Mets. Um, and I would think that this is the kind of thing that's going to continue if the Rays are in tight games. If they need to steal a base, they have the athleticism to take the extra bag. I, I would bank on them being more of a speed athletic team throughout from, you know, for the entire season, more so than their power keeping up, because, you know, I think that's coming into the season. I think coming into the season, I think that's what everybody was anticipating. You know, we have a young athletic ball club. You know, we're going to have to manufacture runs, steal bases, get guys over. And so, um, you know, that that's, you know, that that's what makes this team, you know, once again, so, so dangerous is because, you know, they're, they're a double threat. They got power, speed. And uh, I think the new rules obviously has helped, but, you know, just having that youth and that, and the athleticism has definitely, you know, helped the ball club. And, and I, I see them continuing to take advantage of, of their speed. And we had a conversation with Chris Prieto who handles the base running. I think the one thing he said is this group has been intelligent, meaning that when guys feel they don't have the jump to steal a bag, they shut it down and they wait for another proper pitch. And that's sometimes with a young player, it's hard to get them to do. Yeah, but once again, you know, it's funny. Everybody talks about how young this ball club is, and they are young, right? But you got to look at it. This team has been in the postseason, what, the last three out of four years, the last four years. They were in the World Series two, three years ago. So this team is young in, like, age and maybe, like, service time, but they've experienced a lot in their first three to four years and so, uh, you know, they've, you know, they've, you know, played a lot of high level baseball games and they know what it takes to win one and two, like you said, you know, when it's a situation when they know they don't have it, they know how to shut it down. And uh, I think that's just impressive. And, you know, kudos to to Chris Prieto and to, to everybody that's involved with, you know, everything that's been going on this year. Well, hopefully it continues to roll. Denard, as the race gets set to wrap up this 10 game homestand, we appreciate a few minutes on this week in race baseball. No problem, Neil. Anytime. Super appreciative to have Denard Spann of Bally Sports Sun with us on the program. We turn now to race pitching coach Kyle Snyder. And Kyle, this has been a big week. The fact that you guys got Tyler Glass now back in the rotation. Tell me what it means to this group from an overall perspective. Well, just given obviously the size of the arm and the talent and, and confidence that the group has, the team has, you know, the clubhouse has, to have Tyler back is tremendous. Um, he's going to provide an enormous boost throughout the rest of the season and um, and really give us a really good chance to win each time he takes them out. And now you have really three big arms back again with he and Shane and, and Zach Eflin. How much does it also change the way you can manage the pitching staff? I know he at least got to six innings in his last start in Durham before his uh, first outing with the Rays on Saturday. Uh, yeah, I think it'll change. It'll change how much the bullpens had to pick up, you know, a particular amount of innings um, since the loss of both Jeffrey Springs, briefly Zach Eflin with the back in April, and then uh, the unfortunate loss of Drew Rasmussen. You know, um, you know, we've kind of exposed ourselves a little bit in terms of innings that needed to be picked up, but, you know, the one benefit, I think, to, uh, to Tyler's oblique injury in spring training and given a year that we knew that we were going to have to, on some level, manage his workload and total innings, 
you know, the fact that he's here and he's here now, that becomes a little less of a concern, right? Given that, you know, um, those first six weeks kind of have already passed and, and we can just be mindful from outing to outing and, um, and it probably ultimately be able to take that leash off him probably sooner than we would have. Does that also allow maybe some pressure? I mean, not maybe not that he was feeling pressure, but it takes a little bit off like a Taj Bradley since you've got three ex- more experienced guys in front of him in the rotation. It, it definitely does. And, you know, we, we're an organization that, that's mindful of softer landings for certain guys as they start to acclimate themselves to the big league level. Uh, Taj, Taj has all the attributes uh, of, a, of a bona fide front-end starter. And I think being around a, a Tyler Glasnow, obviously, in the likes of, you know, Zach Eflin and Shane McClanahan, um, and not feeling like he's going to have to be that guy immediately, I think is, is certainly going to be a boost, not just for Taj, but I think the entire pitching staff as well, you know, for Taj not to be feeling, you know, unnecessary pressure at the age of 22, you know, to, to go out there and, and, and fire nothing but zeros up. We, we're mindful of that. You know, we understand, you know, where, where Taj is, and, and I, I completely expect Taj to to build and grow throughout this year and develop into a, you know, a major league starter um, that's going to give us a chance to win far more often than he won't. Having those three starters in the rotation that we mentioned at the top, maybe not one after the other, but overall, how does that also change maybe the way you can use your bullpen on different days? It kind of goes back to what we were talking about to start the year, right? You know, just having the confidence of the talent in the rotation to face the lineup three times through. Um, now, obviously, with the loss of with, with Rass and and, um, and Jeffrey not being in the rotation anymore, we're not going to go completely conventional all the time. But still, having said that, we do have confidence in in four guys to be able to turn that lineup over and not be too concerned about the familiarity or the times of the order effect that we've um, that we've done a, you know a good job strategically trying to. Uh, to guard against but like it, it it should take you know some innings off the bullpen uh, and really allow to set us up you know to really go to the whip and, and and give our best guys down there a chance to come in and lock down the game and and maybe too like for instance you've used Jalen Beeks as an opener and that's probably part of it is because of the injuries that you had to the rotation and also get him on track but now there's maybe a chance where if you want to use him for the sixth and seventh with in front of Adam and Fairbanks, you have the ability to do that. That's 100% true. You know, multi-inning, you know, leverage relief arms are something that we've we prioritized developing. You know, we, we probably haven't done it as much as we would have liked to, but Jalen certainly fits that billing. Um, and he's really gotten on track since being, you know, his outing in Chicago. Um, you know, if it's at the front of the game for two innings or if it's in, you know, medium leverage in the sixth and seventh, right, just to avoid, you know, having to use two single inning arms in particular situations, I really feel like, you know, Jalen could be a big boost to us in the, in the bullpen as well. This has been a really tough stretch, and I mean by tough stretch, 29 games in 30 days, and then it's followed up by the doubleheader you guys have in Boston. How have you felt you've handled it as a group, considering also the injuries that you mentioned at the top? I, I personally, I think they've done a fantastic job, right? I mean, it's it's easy to press. It's it's easy to let the fatigue of this month and the schedule, the way that it lines up, you know, to to wear you down. But you know, these guys, you know, are coming in here every single day, ready to compete. You know, they're out. The outcome is not always going to be what they you know they desire, but you know, and I think Kevin's done a great job too, recognizing the difficulties in this particular month and. 
and you know pick particular days to you know to give guys you know a little bit more rest and and show up and play on a particular day you know just being mindful of the fact that it is a tough stretch and and, and what's asked of these guys, and in particular, just everyday players, and, and, and I would consider bullpen guys in the same, you know, bucket. Like it's, it takes its toll. Like I mean, they, these are a lot of games, and it's a lot of travel, and you know, um, you know, when you just have one single off day, really in the middle of the month, um, to kind of navigate around, it, it does certainly take its toll over time. But I feel like they've they've done a really good job handling this, and I feel like Kevin's done a fantastic job managing it. And you're now, I think, in the mid to upper 20s in terms of pitchers already used this year, not counting the position players. So have you felt you've kept guys at least fresh through the first third of the season? I, I do, yes. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, considering some of the injuries, you know, I mean, even, you know, obviously losing Cleffinger with the knee, you know, but getting guys up here, um, really relying on our depth, which is something that we've had to do each of the last few seasons. You know, I don't know if we're on the trajectory that we, you know, we've been on the last couple of years in terms of cl- using close to 40 arms, you know, but we're going to do what it takes and, and, and what it takes to make sure that, you know, we prioritize the guys that we have. You know, even Zach Birdie gets credit for, you know, picking up an inning, you know. I mean, we were forced to use two position players. That, you know, those things happen, right? But, you know, you choose to do that in an effort to protect the guys that you know are going to take you where you want to go. And if you got to do that, you got to do that. You mentioned the multi-inning arm of Jalen Beeks. You've been missing Sean Armstrong. We haven't really had such. He may come back sometime in June uh, or late May or June, depending on how his rehab is going. How much would he help if he's close to where he was last year? Uh, He would be a tremendous help. You know, just another guy that's a six-out option. Um, You know, Kevin Kelly can certainly fit that billing as well. But, you know, I think with, uh, with what Sean was able to provide for us last year, the occasional third up, um, just the strike throwing, you know, the, you know, the profile, you know, it's a, it's a above average, you know, arm with two different fastballs, two different breaking balls. You know, if he could, if he could return the form and come up here and be a six out option again for us, it would certainly be a big boost. And in terms of you want those guys you can trust at the end of the games, we mentioned the way Jalen has come around. You've got Pete and Jason. Colin Pochet has pitched better. Do you think you have enough thickness there? And are you starting to learn some of the other arms that you've gotten recently outside the organization? Yeah, I, I, I think just where, you know, where Jason, where Pete, where, where Colin, where Colin's been the last couple of weeks, uh, the swing and miss returning, certainly with Jalen, we mentioned, you know, th- there's definitely enough thickness there. And, and listen, these guys aren't any different or much different than they were in previous years. You know, we got out to a really, um, you know, really good start. You know, our offense was affording us a lot of not line leverage innings more than I'd ever experienced here as a pitching coach. And, you know, now they've kind of found their rhythm a little bit more, and I would expect going forward that these guys are going to produce the way that we would expect them to. Because overall, the the swing and miss rate is down a, a bit as a group from where it was a year ago. I wonder how much of that is also the pitch clock, that guys are throwing more pitches in a shorter period, because I, I think I am seeing other teams having similar challenges with the swing and miss rates. Well, I, I don't know if the pitch clock has anything to do with the swing and miss rates. I think I'd probably attribute that more to you know, our, our ability to control the count a little bit better than we have. I mean, generally speaking, hitters are going to swing more the more strikes you throw. Um, I mean, I think last year we were at 64% first pitch strikes. We also led all of baseball in chase rate. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get misses, but you're forcing guys to swing outside the strike zone, and that's something that we've always prioritized, making sure that we, you know, control the count and the at-bat in control. 
Um, the, the pitch clock is definitely something that guys are having to navigate, and, and certain guys have a little tougher time with it than others, but everybody's acclimating, you know. I mean, I think it's, it's done what Major League Baseball has hoped it would do in, in terms of just, you know, cutting 20 to 25 minutes off, you know, the, the majority of nine-inning, you know, uh, ball games. And, you know, as a result, you know, the, the pitchers have, you know, they have a certain standard that they have to meet now. And, um, you know, some of our guys, Ryan Thompson, I'll even bring up his name. I mean, he was close to 30 seconds between, you know, pitches last year. Just a lot of the things that helped him prepare to make each pitch. You know, and, and he's had to cut that down, and it's it's something that, you know, it, it's been a little bit difficult on him. And, you know, whether you can attribute swing and strike rates to the fact that these guys are having to be ready more quickly, I don't know. It's too difficult to say. But at the same time, it is something that is an adjustment for everybody. And um, But regardless, I feel like these guys are going to continue to perform better as the season goes on. And we also touched on, you know, overall depth. We mentioned Sean Armstrong. You've got some other guys still, whether it's Andrew Kittredge, yep. Ryan Burke, Colby White, guys who are coming back from injury That's right. that all could help at some point. Do you feel good about the fact that you do have a, another layer of reinforcements potentially down the line? I certainly do, yeah. And, and Rick Knapp's definitely kept us abreast on, you know, their progress. Um, you know, Andrew should be ready right around the deadline. Um, you know, Colby White, I know, had a – a little bit of a setback, but, you know, his last bullpen he threw two days ago. I know Steve Watson talked about um, just how good the ball was coming out of his hand, both on both, you know, fastball and breaking ball. So, to me, it, he's probably not too far off from starting his assignment. And I know Burr, Ryan Burr's already in AAA right now, so, and, and flashing uh, above average stuff. So, again, depth, insurance, however it is you want to factor that in. We've used 40 arms every year the last few years. You know, it seems as if we're kind of on that trajectory, like I mentioned earlier. Um, but these guys are going to come up here. It'll be the next man up. And, you know, we'll certainly prioritize early count strikes like we do with every one of them and, 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 and certainly hope that they can help us out. Kyle, thanks for a few minutes. We really appreciate it. My pleasure, Neil. That's Kyle Snyder, race pitching coach. We'll continue with more after this. You're listening to This Week in Race Baseball on the Race Baseball Network. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations, Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Rays baseball. I'm Neil Solons. You know, this week was a homecoming for several former Rays, including Kevin Kiermeyer, Willie Adamas, and Mike Brasso. Brasso, of course, had one of the biggest home runs in franchise history during 2020, and I asked him three years later to break down that at bat in real time as we watched it on video. To simplify the approach as, as much as I could, I, I just remember the high heater. I, I know that he's got me, you know, previous at bats. I believe the night before I faced him in the ninth, and he, he struck me out on. Um, you know, I think 100 at the top of the zone. So that's the one pitch where you kind of, you know, go into that bat, figure out the release point, um, and you know that that's a pitch that probably isn't going to go well in your favor. So um, try to see the release point low was, was the initial thought process. So the first pitch, um, if we get into it right here, was, like I said, we, we faced him last night. I faced him last night. It was the first time that I've seen him go back-to-back -back days. So... First pitch out of the hand was, you know, try to see release point. Does he still have the velo today? What's he look like back-to-back -back days? Um, 
and it just turned out that that was probably the best pitch to hit that entire at bat. But like I said, it was, it was a tracking pitch, um, kind of see it at the release point and go from there. He went 20 some seconds before he threw the next one and he went top of the zone again. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And uh, if you kind of look at the facial reaction after I swing at that to make it 0-2, it was kind of one of those things where it was, uh, you know, that's the idea that I didn't want to happen. And and unfortunately, I, I went away from my plan and kind of diversed from, diverted from the plan a little bit. So that's a, one of your points was uh, if there was a time clock, I might not have had so much time to kind of regroup and, and refocus a little bit and kind of lock it re back in. Um, but that was the point where, you know, I didn't want to do it initially, but now that I saw where that release point was for that high heater, I know that, um, you know, can't make that mistake again. And then he follows it up with some off speeds after that. Yeah, were you surprised he went with his off speed away? I think that was one of the few times it was a changeup? Or? Yeah, yeah, I think it was that new split that he was kind of working on uh, that year. Um, I think that was the first year that he brought that out. Um, but, yeah, I, I was, you know, I, taking your homework um, in previous at-bats I've had against him, he always has kind of gone to that uh, – the off speed a little bit later as kind of a wipeout pitch. Um, so and I thought I was sitting on it because obviously you have to respect the the velo and you know the release point and he releases it so far. You know his extension is unbelievable. So you had that with the velo. Um, you really you had no other choice but to be on time for the heater. So you have the off speed in the back of your mind, but you're still on time for the heater. And then you laid off a high fastball that right. time to get even. Right. Yeah. And obviously it was a little bit higher, uh, more chest to chin height, but at the same point like. That is the release, like out of the hand. That was that was a easier take, just because of where you know I had my sight set up. So you're four pitches in, and now you fight off what looked like a slider on the hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just as simple as you know, like I said, being on time for the heater. You see the release point down. You recognize that it's an off speed uh, as it travels closer to you, and, and you're trying to just react and stay alive at that point. Because that was, I mean, that was a like a two-two. That was a back foot slider. You're really not going to be doing that much, and when you have to be on time for that heater. Um, yeah, you're just trying to get to the next pitch because that's yeah, you're not going to do much with that. Great stuff from Mike Brasso. Still teammates right now in Milwaukee, though, with Willie Adamas. Willie and I spoke about a number of things, including if Tampa Bay still feels like home. It, it does. It does. I, t- I think I said that yesterday. Every time, I mean, since we landed here on Wednesday night, it was just that feeling of like, oh my God, I, I came back home. Like it, that's how it feels every time I come here. It's, it feels like home. Who are you still close to? Uh, I think I'm uh, the closest with Margot and Randy and Glasnow. I feel like I talk to them the most of the whole team. Do you think in Margot's case it was because of the pandemic that that brought you so much closer? You had to room with him during, you roomed with him that entire time? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we spent those three months together doing everything together for, you know, every day for three months. and, And that really brought us, like, super super close and you know he's such a great guy i mean he had has a beautiful heart and you know he's always trying to take care of everybody so like he's you know we are like really really close and i would assume with randy it was that whole playoff run yes i mean it was the same year i mean we you know when we went to san diego we were every day doing everything together too so like it was just us three going everywhere together and glass how, how did the two of you guys connect? Because that's what I thought was so unique about this group is the pitchers and the position players seem to have that connection too. Yeah, I mean, you know, Glasnow, uh, his personality, I think, is kind of similar to mine. And, you know, off the field, we hang out a lot. Even the, we went to the uh, Matt Duffy wedding this past off season, and we saw each other there, and it was like, 
oh my god like you know like what's up brother like how you feeling and we kind of connect again but like off the field we hung out a couple times so every time that I'm here, like he's I've seen in the off season, so we always stay in touch. Billy Adamas was one of the franchise's most likable players, as was Kevin Kiermeyer, who was here this week, of course, with Toronto. Kevin spoke how different it was coming to this ballpark as a visiting player for the first time in the regular season. Uh, definitely, you know, different. Different walking past our home clubhouse and keep going to the visiting side. Um, and I, I knew, I knew when. That day came, which you know was yesterday for me. It was just one of those things, like man, never I knew it was gonna be different. But once you do it, you're just like, wow, you know, this is this is weird. I know everything here all too well. You know, a, a particular way being on the home side over there, wearing the rays across my chest, and now, uh, you know, knowing the circumstances, it, it is what it is. And um, but when I when I get here, you know, my drive, like my drive to the field, I've, I've done it so many times. And yesterday, I was. Thrilled to do it again today. Um, you know, I know nothing. Like, this is all I knew for my whole career until this year. So, uh, a lot of nostalgia going on, obviously. Uh, but I think, you know, just about all the the great memories, the great relationships, friendships I've made over here. And uh, I always say, you know, I loved running out of that dugout and taking the field each and every time I was able to throughout my whole career. I got an adrenaline rush like no other, um, and I <clears throat> I loved it. Those are, you know, there's so many things here that I'll never forget and uh, always cherish, you know, all the opportunities and everything that came my way throughout the whole time. We had previously on the homestand Willie Adamas and Mike Brasso with us. Can you walk us through your perspective of the relay, first of all, since that was as many good defensive plays as you were involved with, that was probably right up there for a lot of reasons. Yep. Yeah, ALDS, I, that was game three or four. I, th- I might have, you know, that was an uh, incredible moment. Remember Yarborough's pitching, Jordan Alvarez was a hitter, saw it off the bat, knew I was going to have to play the carom and, and try to make a throw home, and I remember that ball was just up there forever. It seemed like it took forever to get to me. And I knew when I made a, a good, strong, accurate throw to Willie, I knew what his arm was capable of on the last half of that play. And he, uh, you know, made one of the best, probably the best throw of his career, I would imagine. I mean, Altuve running, had no room for air whatsoever. Uh, couldn't delay any longer. It was just a, a, a picture, perfect play and a, a relay that, uh, you know, I was very proud of at the time. And still, when I see highlights of it, I remember the crowd's reaction. Um, you know, you get a standing ovation from a crowd and a huge play in the playoffs. That's that's what you play for. I still remember in that series too the three-run homer you yep. hit and how the place yeah. exploded. Yeah, that was uh, that was incredible. And someone was asking me uh, yesterday. They said, "Hey, is this this place gets loud?" I said, "Oh yeah, it, it can get it can get very loud. You know, indoors the sound has nowhere to go." And I remember when I did hit that three-run homer um, off Zach Granke, Game Three, 2019. I uh, I had a lot of people tell me that was one of the loudest moments they've ever heard uh, here in this building, if not the loudest. And certainly just to be in that conversation to, you know, me, how, how much I love this organization. I'm proud to be a part of, of those moments and, um, you know, had plenty like that throughout my whole career. And anytime you could, you know, I, I love displaying my talents for fans, players, whoever wants to see. I just always try to go out there and, and uh, you know, make some exciting plays, and that's what I love to do. And unfortunately, was able to be, 
you know, part of, of many over the years. And enjoy the place of others, too. Of 2020, there were no fans, but the Mike Brasso moment, oh. what was? What do you remember about your perspective where you were watching it with no fans and the intensity of that moment? Best uh, best moment of my career, not even, not even close. I mean, uh, I can't even go with any personal accolade I've ever received uh, that was... That takes the cake. Brasso hitting that homer off Chapman in San Diego in the eighth inning. Nothing, nothing like it, man. I mean, that was incredible. Uh, just a, a moment of adrenaline that was just unmatched excitement. Um, you know, given the circumstances of, of the history we had with them, especially at that time. Uh, and and I'm I'm ha- I'm okay with that. You know, you'd think like it'd be a moment of mine. No, I I always said I live vicariously through my teammates so many times throughout my whole career, and and that certainly that was the moment that that took the cake. And um, you know, I hope maybe one day we can we can top that moment, but it, it's going to be tough. I mean, that that was truly incredible with no fans. I mean, that that whole COVID year that just lets you, like you go like it showed the people you go out for the love of the game. Yeah, you know we're. We're playing in, in front of no one, but you still got to go up and, and show up to play. And that was the most, some of the most fun I've ever had playing baseball. And that's Kevin Kiermeyer, and we certainly appreciate having him and Mike Brasso and Willie Adamas as part of our latest This Week in Rays Baseball. And it's also the full interviews it is. You just heard a segment. The full interviews are part of a special 25th anniversary podcast to come. You'll be able to catch that full version on Apple, on Spotify, and also racebaseball.com slash podcast. Thanks not only to Kevin Kiermeyer and Mike Brasso and Willie Adamas for being part of our This Week in Race Baseball show, but also each of our other guests on the program today, including second baseman Brandon Lau, as well as Denard Spann of Bally Sports Sun, and also some really good insight from the race pitching coach. Of course, that is Kyle Snyder. If you ever have something you want to hear on the program, all you have to do is tweet me. You can do so at Race Radio or at Neil Solons to do so directly. Next week, you're going to hear from a number of people including always entertaining outfielder of the Rays, Jose Siri. That coming up on the program next week. Thanks again to Derek DuBose for his work back in our network studios today, plus on-site assistance from Chris Miller, as well as Rebecca Carney, Parker Welch, and Alex Fuse. I'm Neil Solons. This is the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted to the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the Rays jump in front 4-1. to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it at RaysBaseball.com slash radio.